0: of Christ amen love for you to get your Bibles out and turn to Isaiah chapter 48 and if you did not bring a Bible with you there's Bibles underneath the seats in front of you hopefully at least a few in each row and you can take one of those Bibles out and turn to that Isaiah chapter 48 and once again if you do not own a Bible and you would need one we would love for you to take the one that we have there as a gift from us and you can also give that to someone as well if you know someone who needs a Bible. Isaiah chapter 48. Well I love the fact that God's commitment towards me, towards you, towards his people is unshakable. Have you... Have you realized how many people hate commitment in our culture? Man, it is like, give me a no-contract life. You know, I want to I be able to opt out of anything at any time. And God is like, no. No, I, I have a plan. I have worked that plan. I continue to work that plan. And it is unshakable. Nothing Nothing can destroy God's plan. You see, God the Father sent His only Son who was infinitely precious to Him. Amen? He is born of the Virgin Mary, which we're celebrating, obviously, right now. He lives a sinless life under the law of God, the only person to keep the moral law the only one, only one ever to do it. He did signs and wonders and miracles and all of that culminating to the cross. And he pours out his blood to save sinners, to save sinners like you, like me, because we We're delivered over to death in our sin, as it says in Romans chapter 4 for our sins. And we have been raised to life by the justification that happens by Jesus on the cross taking our sins in our place. Have you ever thought much about the fact of how much God had to put up with your rebellion before you were a Christian? right? It's like, how many can sit there and go, yeah, he had to put up with a lot. Yeah, there's a lot he had to put up with. Innumerable, right? Innumerable offenses and slights and insults and acts of defiance, fits of selfishness, irritability, complaining, questioning him, words of blasphemy words of unkindness moments of of stunning unbelief towards him and as paul likes to say later and everything else possible you know we could just keep listing all of the offenses right that we have done towards god and who he is and the truth is is if you are a christian here today there Potentially is a long way to go until you're finally done with this journey. And he finally brings you into heaven. And we have to remember that, yes, Jesus, yes, God, the holy heart of those involved here are grieved by sin, right? By every sin. Every sin we've ever committed sins that we may be committing right now, sins that we may commit in the future. But here's the unshakable commitment of God. He is determined to save you. He is determined to save you. I love that. He's determined to cover all of the things that we have done against him to cover that all by his grace and god is never going to stop working in you and around you and for you until you are finally radiantly glorious in him in heaven why 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 all this grace why all of this mercy Well, the Bible gives us, obviously, many answers to that over the many pages and books and chapters and verses that are found within. But in our text, in Isaiah chapter 48, it points to the greatest reason of all, the reason why God puts up with all of his people's stubborn defiance the rebellion, the fact that our forehead, as we're going to read here, is like bronze and our necks are like iron. And we'll explain what that means. He puts up with all of that. The reason why it's in verses 9 through 11 that we're going to look at in just a few moments. God puts up with all of that. He puts up with you. He puts up with me for his name's sake, for his own glory. That's why that's why. And when we look at chapter 48, which for those of you who are new and visiting with us and thank, thank, thank you for being with us. I, I love new people joining us and joining the journey together in faith and serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and growing in Him. So if you're new here today, thank you for being here. Thank you for being here over the last few weeks. We've got a lot of new people in here. Thank you. And for those of you who have been here for the last about year now, we have been walking through this amazing book of Isaiah this whole time, this last year. And it's incredible, isn't it, how relevant this is to today? That's God's Word for you. It's relevant for today. Now some of you may sit there and go, I don't know if everything in there is relevant. I I've been kind of pondering the idea of what if we as a church went through the book of Lamentations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I don't want to lament for a year. I don't but when you go through those books and those things, you understand what what's been building up and, and where God is moving his people all the way along. And, and it's just, you know, it's just so cool. And we get to Isaiah 48 here and we look carefully into that. And if we have to understand the context. Isaiah was Jewish, prophet about 700 years before Jesus was born, Prophets, obviously, special people. They heard from God by the sovereign spirit. God communicated things that they couldn't know any other way. Any part of that was... uh, The part that's really interesting that most of us know is the ability to see the future. And that's only because God allowed it. And Isaiah was living in a time before the Babylonian exile, 100 plus years before God would judge Judah and Jerusalem and bring in Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who would invade in 586 BC. This is all history, guys, gals, about 120 years after this is written, who would invade. They would destroy Jerusalem, destroy the walls, burn everything, every building, raise the temple, destroy it, burn it completely, and leave just a very small remnant of the Jewish people there in that land. But most would be sent away into exile, into Babylon. And in the prophetic eye that Isaiah has, he looks beyond that time, and he sees that God would raise up a man, and mentioned in Isaiah 48, not by name, but Cyrus the Great, and that has been mentioned before. And that Cyrus would then take out Babylon, destroy Babylon. Babylon would be destroyed, and the people of God were told they'll get to go back to the promised land. And they would resume their history as before, their heritage, rebuild Jerusalem, and live the Jewish Believing life that they were called to do beforehand. And Isaiah is seeing all of that in the future. And he's looking at what's about to come. And God, through the prophet Isaiah, laments about something once again wickedness and being stubborn. Let's start in verse 1, Isaiah 48. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are named Israel and who came forth from the loins of Judah, who swore by the name of the Lord and invoked the God of Israel, but not in truth nor in righteousness. For they call themselves after the holy city and lean on the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts in his name. I declare the former things long ago, and they went forth from my mouth, and I proclaim them Suddenly I acted, and they came to pass, because I know that you are obstinate, and your neck is an iron sinew, and your forehead bronze. Therefore I declared them to you long ago, before they took place, I proclaimed them to you, so that you would not say, my idol has done them, and my graven image and my molten image have commanded them. You have heard, look at this. And you, will you not declare it? I proclaim to you new things from this time, even hidden things which you have not known. They are created now and not long ago. And before today, you have not heard them, so that you will not say, behold, I knew them. You have not heard. You have not known. Even from long ago, your ear has not been open, because I knew that you would Deal very treacherously, and you have been called a rebel from birth. Well, let's backtrack a few verses there. Verse 1, that key word is here. Isaiah uses that verb 10 times in this section of Scripture. Also, verse 7, verse 8, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, verse 20 And it's rendered in different words in the English, announce, listen, proclaim, hear. He understands the heart of faith. You know what the heart of faith is? This is not rocket science. Listening to God. Hear. Hear, O Israel. A clear word from God is our only escape from the prison of ourselves, the prison of our culture, and into what is really truth. We are to hear and to do what then? Listen. Listen. Obey. But the centerpiece of the first two verses, when you look at it there, is really the last line of verse 1. Last line of verse 1 says, but not in truth or righteousness. The Jewish exiles were really God's people. Man, when you think about that, think about all the things God had done for this group of nobodies, they, they had a lot going for them as Isaiah says here, but something was wrong. Their profession of faith was, what does he say? It it was not in truth or righteousness. They weren't really listening to God. Not with the follow-through that reaches out for the implications of the gospel. They were, in the true sense of the word, nominal. They were not open to the surprising ways of God. They were limiting Him to the narrowness of idols. The idols were predictable. The idols were locked inside an annual cycle of seasons and were a part of nature. But the transcendent Creator, God, Yahweh, is free to do whatever He pleases. It says that in Psalm 115.3. God never acts out of character, so we need to understand some things. He never acts out of character, which means God will never act outside of the moral law that He has set. God will never say any part of the moral law that He has set is going to change, but He is free to do whatever He pleases within His character, and He cannot be controlled by who. Me. We want to so many times do what? We want to control God. And it's so simple. God, give me this. God, answer my prayer this way. Not your will be done, but my will be done on earth. The exact opposite of Jesus and what he had to say. But... This is what is so beautiful about the fact that God is unshakable in His being, in His purpose, and in His plan. God cannot be defeated when His people don't live by real faith. God has everything figured out. And that's what the next two paragraphs that we read were about. God looks back in verses 3 through 5 at the former things. Every step along the way, He's been faithful to His promises. He's been faithful to His promises in what way? In spite of us. In spite of us, not because of us. And as, as God's blessings break down on us like a wave... We, we tend to think in terms of secondary causes at times, especially, you know, oh, God's blessing me because of my good sense and hard work. No, God's blessing you because He's God. And so many times, instead of seeing God everywhere in what He is doing, our perceptions fill the landscape with a life of idols. And why are we like this? Well, Isaiah walks right up to us. You can just picture it. He's walking right up to us. He's looking us in the eye, and he's like, I, I see the problem. You, you have a neck like iron. Your, your forehead is of brass. In other words, this is what it, in our words today This is what Isaiah would come up and say to us. You are an opinionated, self-assured know-it-all. You have a problem with that? In other words, when we sing things like praise God from whom all blessings flow, we don't really act like that. We praise God from whom all blessings flow because we did something good, or we deserve it. And the real impact of praise God from whom all blessings flow, should, the impact should be, wow, why is he doing anything to bless me? And he's saying this is not just a problem with the world in general. This is a problem with God's people at that time. It's the problem with God's people today. And why, why is he making a point of this? Why is he making the point of, you know, you are a bunch of stubborn people. You, you can't gain the blessings of God by doing well. And let me, let me put this in a sports category because, as you know, I, I think that way. <laughs> but let's just say, let's pick a local high school team. We're going we're gonna to go over to Chatsworth. And the, we're going to tell the, the head coach there, hey, We want you to take your team and play the L.A. Rams next Sunday. What chance does Chatsworth High School have at winning that game? (laughs) Maybe this year. But we know the truth, right? There's 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 this old thing out there where people say, oh, you know, the best college team probably could take take on the worst NFL team and win. And they've pondered that. And the truth is, is that's not true. It's just, it, it, it's, it's the best of the best out there against a bunch of college guys. And in this case, a bunch of high school guys. But we're going to tell the Chatsworth high school guy even something a little different. You got to put your second team out there. All right, so second team against the best... NFL team last year. (laughs) And he puts his team on the field and they score the first touchdown. And there could only be one explanation. It's not because of the players. It'd be because the coach was amazing and he came up with a plan that no one saw. That no one understood. And that's God. He took a second bit group of slaves and made them the group of people that his son was born from. He took this group of people that were stubborn. And through them, the Savior of the world was born. It wouldn't be because of them. It would be because of Him. And that is God's strategy. God schedules great things for us, and then what does He do? He does them. He does them through us. And that's why we are compelled to say then, he is a great God. He is a great God. And that's the idea of the verses here. And then you go into six through eight, these new things, the future outpourings of grace. He's going to accomplish them in creative new ways that we cannot foresee. He intends to keep on surprising us because we can't be trusted with the full disclosure of his plans. Because if we have full disclosures of his plans, what, we, what do we do? Oh, I saw that coming. That's verse 7. And that's the way we are. We don't like uncertainty. We don't like to feel helpless. And if we could see into the future, most of us would say, yes, please. But would that be really good for us? What if God did tell us everything in advance? And what God has said, I've told you enough in my word of what is going to happen, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be. But if I told you everything, what would we do with it? Well... We wouldn't lean on him moment to moment then. We would take control. And Isaiah calls that our hearts that are bent towards rebellion in verse 8. So God tells us enough in advance here in the Bible so that we have something to hang our, our hands on and trust him, but not so much that we can ignore him along the way. What does Jesus say? Follow me. He still is leading us today. He is still leading us today. He keeps leading us along. Even when our thoughts treat him sometimes more like he's a problem than a joy. Why does God love us so much? Why does he put up with us so much? Verses 9 through 11. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. And this is actually, I don't know if you see it with what we're doing here and reading here, but this is actually one of the greatest statements in Scripture. It reveals God's ultimate motive in all of His loving ways. He's put up with so much from Israel. He puts up so much from us. Even when He sent them into the refiring fire of exile, He limited their affliction what does jesus say that you know hey uh, new testament never going to give us more than we can handle right it's the same concept here the ultimate reason why god treats us so well is for the sake of his own name he will not give the glory of his grace to some sort of idol or moral logic Our performance doesn't secure us in God's favor, but actually our lousy performance is used to display His favor. I use a broken person like Scott Julian. God loves us for reasons that make sense only with the logic of God. God loves us with what seems to us like Really, when you get it, when you get how much He loves us, you just go, I don't get it. It's just one thing after another that He he loves me. I don't deserve this. And the whole idea of verses 9 through 11 then is that His mercy to sinners like us through Jesus Christ is what sets Him apart from the idols. God is not a frustrated deity scratching his head as we checkmate one divine move after another. We grieve his heart, like I said before, but we do not defeat him. You can take all of our sins, everyone in this room, let's think about this, You can take all of our sins collectively, gather them together into one vast stinking pile of garbage. And God goes, I will clean that. And not only does He say, I will clean that, He does. He refines it, gets rid of it, casts it far away as from east from west. He has no need that we could satisfy. He is a personal vastness uh, who rejoices to give. And out of His fullness, we receive grace upon grace upon grace, as it says in John one sixteen. This gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message that is true in this world to the glory of God. Yes, God still confronts our sinfulness. And actually, that's one of the most striking features of Isaiah 48 is it's confrontational. Like I said, Isaiah is getting in your face and going, you are stubborn. You are sinful. You blow it. Wouldn't it be nice if more people actually said that to us instead of just try to coddle us and to, oh, you're wonderful. No, you're not. But what sets God apart from vengeful idols, idols that demand everything and forgive nothing, is that the dying love of Christ for sinners Who don't even listen to him very carefully, God will never give that glory away. Whatever it takes, even death on a cross, he gives it freely. And it's all about achieving his purpose. Verses 12 through 16. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, who I called. I am he, I am the first, I am the last. Surely my hand founded the earth, and my right hand spread out over the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. Assemble, all of you, and listen. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves him. He will carry out his good pleasure on Babylon, and his arm will be against the Chaldeans. I, even I, have spoken. Indeed, I have called him. I have brought him... He will make His ways successful. Come near to me, listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in secret, from the time it took place I was there, and now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit." in this section of scriptures is the second time that God has called himself the first and the last the alpha and the omega he was there at the beginning of history he's there at the end and where is he in between he's there he's orchestrating history for his own purposes for his own glory we've seen that already who is the person though that is speaking here well the easy answer would be isaiah But Isaiah doesn't really talk about himself that way. He doesn't call himself anointed with the Spirit, covered with the Spirit. That's not something he does. This is the language of what? The Messiah. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up in this narrative. There's no doubt about that. He's also the one that's referred to in the very next chapter that we'll be looking at right after Christmas. But if you go back to verse 16, what's interesting? Did you catch it in there? Come to me, listen to this. From the very first I have not spoken in secret, from the time it took place, I was there, and now the Lord God has sent me and His Spirit. Uh Uh-oh. Isaiah 48, 16 is a Trinity verse. Did you catch that? For anyone that doesn't believe in the Trinity, you're wrong. Anyway, (laughs) it's there. there. There it is. And Jesus is speaking. The Father sent me, the Son, with the Spirit to do what? To redeem. And Jesus says something like that as well again in the book of Revelation. Verse 17 and 18 of chapter 1 Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive and I live forever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus is claiming to be God there. There's no doubt about it. God's old right hand laid the foundation of the universe. There's nothing he cannot do. God rules actively over the stars, over the cosmos. He gives the word and they all stand together. God says, and when he summons the stars, what do they do? They come together. This teaches again the doctrine of God's active direct government of the universe. God's in charge. Amen? There is not an instant in which the universe, even the distant stars, don't do what He commands. And this goes along with verses 14 through 16 where God is saying there's this guy, Cyrus, and he's going to succeed. And the, the, I've been playing about this. Here's the plan. This is the way it's going to work. Cyrus is going to be an ally for me, a co-worker for his glory to destroy the Babylonians. He's going to summon Cyrus and make certain that he succeeds, as we've seen and we've seen through history. God says... I didn't do this off in a little corner, I didn't speak somewhere in a land in secret, I didn't do it to to hide it, I did it to make it obvious to everyone, I told everyone this is what I was going to do. Why? Verse 17, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, and your offspring like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from my presence. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, declare with the sound of joyful shouting, proclaim this, send it out to the ends of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. They did not thirst when he led them through the deserts, he made the water flow out of the rock for them. He split the rock and the water gushed forth. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Verses 17 through 19, very clear. If God's people had only obeyed His word, and right, this is coming right from the heart of God, God stands over our messy sinful broken rebellious lives and says these words he says if you had only done it my way folks none of this would have happened you've only listened to my word what does he say about his word my my word is a lamp to your feet which implies that your feet need to be moving where following him my word is a light to your path. The path is what? It's, it's the path of righteousness. We go all the way back to the first verse and what the people aren't listening and there's not a real sense of truth and there's not a real sense of righteousness. What is God saying? He's tying it all together. Hey, if you listen and do these things, then all of a sudden you will have the lamp to your feet, the truth in front of you, the light to your path, the righteousness that would be happening in your life. And this is all before the exile even happened that this is stated. He's saying, if you obeyed me, then there wouldn't be an exile. In There's a lament in there that we've been looking at over time. And you see the grief in his heart. We've seen that over over many chapters. If you'd only had... Done this, and and it's it's the same picture that we see with Jesus. He look he looks over Jerusalem. Tears coming down from his face. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing you stubborn know-it-alls. Behold, your house is left desolate. And the lament in what God is saying in verses 17 through 19, you know what? There's a reason our lives are miserable at so many times. We don't obey God's word. And what I'm thankful for, when we celebrate Christmas, I am thankful that God sent someone who did follow His word. And we are celebrating that Jesus. Jesus took God's law and lived it out perfectly. won a righteousness that only he could give us as a gift. He heeded God's law and obeyed it and fulfilled it. And so he is the redeemer. And he leads his people to flee from Babylon. And these are the applications that we see along the way here. I think, first of all, all of us need to plead with God to change our hearts, rearrange our priority structure so it becomes like God's priority structure. We need to be saying to God continually, God, change my heart so that I esteem your glory above everything else in my life. Change my heart, oh God. Does that sound familiar? change me, help me understand you, help me understand your glory, change my priority structure, help me to love your glory and live for your glory and delight in your glory above everything else. And as a part of that, I am pleading with any of you personally today that are in this room That maybe in some way on the outside looking in. Someone who has not said, yes, I will follow Jesus. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I am living my life for him. You know, let's just face it. Those of you in this room today, you know if you're redeemed or not by what God's word says. Even by the little amount. Of what we've taught here today and you may at times feel like how do I know I've been forgiven how can I know that I'm going to heaven well God brought you here today hopefully I believe to hear the gospel and you I believe have heard enough this morning to know how to be saved God sent his son to die for sinners like you, for like me. Trust in him. Believe in him. Flee to him. Look to him. Let him save you. You cannot do it yourself. And many of us have been professionals for years of trying to save ourselves. He will never let you go until... you you are at last in heaven, and he still won't let you go there. Flee to Christ. And this is also one section, this section of scriptures, the last time Babylon will be openly mentioned in the book of Isaiah. It's referred to in some other places, but we're told here to do what? Leave Babylon. Flee from it, right? Is that what it says last time I checked? says it at other places as well. But why do we flee from Babylon? To not share in the plagues and the judgments that come to that lifestyle, to that land. Come out, be separate, so you don't share in the plagues. James 4.4 4 says it this way for us who are living today. You adulterous people... Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We cannot live for the pleasures, the food, the drink, the fun, the hobbies, the money, or the power. We can't live for that. If you live for those things, those are... What we've been looking at the last few weeks, if we live for those things, those things are idols. We need to thank God for what He has provided, thank God for everything that has been given to us in life, but what has everything been given to us in life for? It's a word that starts with an S, and it's a word that isn't used in our culture anymore at all. Stewardship. I am called to steward, to be the person that God uses to have these resources to take care of family, help friends and neighbors in church, all for the glory of God. I am to steward everything for the glory of God. And it's pretty easy to see when people don't steward things well. We see that in the New Testament. They bury treasures. They try to gain treasures, more and more treasures, without actually benefiting the Lord's work in those things, right? I mean, it's it's pretty easy to catch that stuff, even in our culture. So thank God for what He has given, but we don't live for them. We use them for His glory. Another... Thought here that I see is <laughs> okay, God, every day it's not just changed my heart, but it's softened my heart. God I, you know, I, I think I think many of us need to say this quite often. God, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn towards you. I have a neck of iron. <laughs> I've been proving that for years. Would you please soften me? Soften my heart. Help me yield to your word. In verses 17 through 18, once again, what, is it? what does it say there? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commandments, then your well-being would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. We need to hear that over and over in our heads. Hear God saying that to us. Are we... Are we in His Word every day? Seriously, when we get up in the morning, are we opening our day with Scripture and are we listening to God? Because what is He saying there? If you only listened to me, then you wouldn't be having the things going on right now that you have going on right now. If you only obeyed my commands, you wouldn't have the afflictions you're experiencing. You wouldn't have to go through all of this And I think many of us would be very much truthful with others in saying that a lot of the misery in our lives comes from not listening to God's Word and we have heaped coals upon ourselves. And as I would say, yeah, I'm a professional guy that blows it. But that also leads to the next thing. I am so thankful for His patience. And I need to confess my sins regularly, thank Him, thank Him for being patient, and I look forward to the day where I am better, and hopefully that's every single day, I'm better at not sharing His glory with another, because we can't. But, I'm going to serve him with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, right? Because he's already said, I'm not going to share my glory with another. But I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you in such a way that you'll be swimming in a sea of glory and righteousness. And that's wonderful news. If you're a Christian in the room today, you know this, but be reminded, you are going to shine radiantly forever in Him. And the light you'll see in that place, it will all be the glory of God through Christ. There is no need for the sun because the glory of God shows all around. Every ray of light you see in heaven will be what? God's glory. It's a pretty awesome picture. And you will realize wow. Wow. I am saved. I am saved in a way that He was glorified, He humbled me, and it's all for God's glory alone. And if you are here today and you do not know the Lord yet, you can, in a matter of seconds, change the reality to go from unsaved to saved. And that blows my mind. It is not a 22-step process. It's one. Believe. Believe in me. Believe in me and I will forgive your sins and you will be with me and I will hold on to you and that love will be unshakable. We can't shake God. He pursues us, keeps us, protects us, and gives us life, all for his glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for...